Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Our text this morning is verses 3 through 11. And I want to direct your attention to verse 11. Because that which we have just sung would not be possible without the gospel. And Paul ends this section to Timothy by saying this, verse 11. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Underline that in your minds, will you please? In accordance with the gospel of our glorious God. Do not let anyone deny you the gospel. Do not let anyone pervert the gospel. Do not let anyone take away from you the wonderful, glorious truths of the gospel. Because it is sound doctrine, the truth of the word of God, upon which we base our lives and living, and it's all wrapped up in the package of the gospel. Now, Paul knew something about the church at Ephesus. You could go to Acts chapter 19 and you could discover his ministry there. Paul was the one who introduced the believers to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's the last evidence that we have in Acts where the believers spoke in tongue to validate what God had given to them. And the text in Acts says that Paul was there for two years. Can you imagine sitting under the ministry of the Apostle Paul for two years? Can you imagine the things that you have learned? And Paul taught them and shared with them and built into their lives the wonderful, glorious truths of the gospel. But no matter how much energy and work Paul put into the gospel, there were those who had their own ideas. There were those who took away from the wonderful, glorious God who, who saved them and sent his son to be a sacrifice for them. Preston is learning some things in his internship. He's looking behind the curtain. Connie Carey and I have discussed what we are going to do in our retirement. And we're going to write a book, aren't we, Connie? And y'all going to be in there. <laughs> now, the good news is when Connie and I write this book, we're going to change the names to protect the guilty. <laughs> Paul didn't do that. In fact, if you will look at verse 20 of chapter 1, Paul names names. He names Hymenius, Alexander. And he says he handed them over to Satan. Why? Because of verse 19, they made a shipwreck of the faith. And Paul, in writing to Timothy, says, Timothy... I'm going to ask you to stay in Ephesus 
because I want you to correct those who would make a shipwreck of the faith. Here's our big picture statement. The antidote for false teachers' teaching is sound doctrine expressed through love that is discovered in the gospel. Do not let anyone make a shipwreck of your faith, but cling to sound doctrine and work it out through the love that is given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want to very quickly kind of work our way through this text, and it will be rather quickly done this morning. But it's important for us to know what is false. Because if you're going to identify the truth, you in some ways have to understand the false. And Paul begins in verse 3 by writing to Timothy, and he says, As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different things doctrine. Paul begins by saying, you're there for a purpose. You have an assignment, Timothy, and you're to urge people towards sound doctrine. Now, Paul begins to identify these false teachers. Verse 4, don't devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship that is from God. Now, it's difficult to digest all that and find out what these false teachers were were really teaching. I want you to jump over to chapter 4 very quickly because Paul gives us some hints. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving, but those who believe and know the truth. Now, there was probably some Gnosticism going on here. Well, we're not sure. Paul doesn't talk about the Gnostics here. But Gnosticism was that belief that there was a sovereign God. But that God was manifested in different ways to people. In chapter 1, he talks about myths. He talks about endless genealogies. He talks about speculations rather than the stewardship from God, which is by faith. Deceitful spirits. Now, how do we apply that to our culture? Say, well, that would never happen around here. In our culture, there's some debate about which translations we should use. In our culture, there's a debate about what instruments are most effective in our worship. What style of ministry should we have? I 
What should the preacher wear when he's preaching? Meaningless, senseless things. Do we use hymns or choruses? Silly myths and endless genealogies. You see, the truth is, and here's what I want you to understand. These are things that only distract us from the reality of the gospel. They are things that would lead us astray because sound doctrine is important. The word of God makes a difference. And when we deviate from the word of God and put our emphasis on something else, it's simply a distraction in our lives that takes us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see that? When we make opinions and speculations more important than sound doctrine, we're distracted from the gospel. Don't allow that to happen in your life, and we cannot allow that to happen here at Calvary. Because otherwise, God's going to name some names. And we want to be the kind of people that he wants us to be. So, how do we live it out? Verse 5. Are you there? The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. The byword of the Christian life is love, right? Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you have what, class? Uh, Let's do that one more time. The answer is love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have one for another. And the great commandment was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. The watchword of the Christian is love. Now, we're not going to take the time this morning, but we could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and there we could discover a definition of love. It suffers long. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It takes no account of of wrongdoings. Love. And Paul says, Timothy, your charge, your charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, in a sincere faith. A pure heart. The psalmist wrote, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The question is asked in Psalm 24, Who can stand in the holy place of God? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Love begins with a pure heart. Love then leads us 
to a good conscience, a God-given measure of righteousness that flows from our lives. Perhaps you've heard that if you have a clear conscience, you can sleep at night. Uh, Maybe not. But the reality is, we need to have a right standing before God, and if that is true in your life, then you don't have to worry about anything else. It doesn't matter what people think of me. It doesn't matter what people say about me. It doesn't matter what our culture describes me as. If I have a good conscience before God, that's what matters. Amen? And a sincere faith without pretense, with no other agenda. Now, love is not letting everybody do what they want to do. Love is not allowing someone to continue as they are without becoming what God wants them to be. You see, the reality is we need to love God enough to speak the truth of God. That's not easy. We need to love the saints enough so that we might strengthen their faith. That's not easy. And we need to love sinners enough to silence false teaching. That's not easy. And when Paul tells Timothy that the charge is love, he is reminding Timothy, speak the truth, love God enough to speak the truth. Timothy, strengthen the faith. Love saints enough to strengthen the faith. And Timothy, silence foolish teaching. Love sinners enough, tell them when they're wrong. Now, the reality is that we are to speak the truth in love, right? Ephesians chapter 4. The reality is, 1 Peter 3.15, that we are to be ready to give an answer to those who ask us a reason, the hope that is in us, but do it with gentleness and respect. But the reality also is we have no option not to speak truth. One of the most difficult assignments that I have is to speak truth to people when they're struggling with sin in their lives. Many times I'll go up and I'll put my arm around somebody, and I'll do that for two reasons. Number one, I want them to know that I love them, that I'm on their team, and I want to walk with them. And number two, I don't want them to get a full swing. But our charge is to speak the truth. Now, sometimes it's a balance between grace and the law and truth. And Paul reminds Timothy 
that there were those who were so intent on living out the law that they lost love. He identifies them here. Verse 6. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away in vain discussion, dealing, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assurance. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understand this, that the law has not been laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, for the ungodly and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. You remember in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talked about the lawyers of Judah. They were called Pharisees. And you remember what he said about them? Sounds good on the outside, but you ain't got anything on the inside. You're just a place to bury the dead. Nothing wrong with the law. Without the law, I wouldn't know sin. Sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law, according to 1 Corinthians 15. But when we emphasize the law, we lose our love. And we have failed to see what sound doctrine is all about. Because our standard, our standard is sound doctrine. Underline those last two words in verse 10. The foundation that God has given to us is sound doctrine. The word sound has the idea of being healthy. If we're living out sound doctrine, we're healthy. If we're living out the foundations of this word, we are doing well. It's all about sound doctrine, folks. Because the sound doctrine is to help us engage the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we read verse 11. It's identified as the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. You see, it's the gospel that brings permanent change to our lives. It's the gospel that makes the difference. And so we, when we say the antidote to false teachers or false teaching is sound doctrine, we must recognize that that sound doctrine is love lived out through the gospel. So how do we identify what is true? May I very quickly give you four principles that I think are important. How do I identify what is true. Number one, it starts with the teaching, preaching of the Word of God. When you evaluate ministries today, and they're all over the place, 
You need to begin with the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God that changes lives. It's not just someone who is pleasant to listen to. It's not just someone who makes a lot of application. I call those skyscraper preachers. You know, story upon story upon story upon story upon story. Are they teaching and preaching the Word of God as the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Amen? Secondly, we need to realize that it's all about the glory of God. You see, folks, it's not about you, it's not about me. This is not my church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is not my ministry. This is the ministry of the kingdom of God. And God can remove me anytime he wants. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I appreciate your patience with allowing me to do what I do. But if God wants me taken out, that's okay with me. And it should be okay with you. Because it's about God getting the glory. Great things he has done. And as you evaluate ministries in our 21st century, one of the keys is discovering who's getting the glory from all of this. And if it's not God, then stay away from it. We need to understand some motives. Now, this is tough. Motives of ministries and ministers. We live in a day of fame and fortune, and I'm going to do some broad brush analogies here. Okay? And I, I fully admit this but we live in a day in which it seems that those who receive the accolades are those who are promoting vast ministries that's a broad brush folks please understand that we need to be careful about what the motives are the motive should not be to follow this individual or that individual. It is not. My hope is built on nothing less than Schofield's notes and Moody Press. <laughs> that ain't it. Okay? You, you understand? So start to look at motives. This morning, we were directed in our worship. By the way, every part of this service is designed for worship. The announcements are designed to give us service opportunities because that's worship. 
His ties and our love gifts are designed to help us be good stewards. That's worship. The singing and sharing is designed to help us focus our attention on our God. That is worship. And the Word of God, the study of the Word of God, is designed to build that into our lives, and that's worship. Everything we do in this service is worship. And it's not about anybody who's up here. It's about the greatness of our God. So as we look at true ministries, understand motives. And what's the effect of the gospel? Does it lead people to Jesus? Is it about Jesus or is it about something else? What is the effect of the gospel? And the gospel ought to be what changes our lives. When we understand how much God loves us and what he did to demonstrate his love toward us when we were sinners and we're still sinners, that he sent his only begotten son, the incarnate word of God, to a cross to die for us, if that doesn't change us, nothing will. And it's all about the effect of the gospel in our lives. So the truth is, the antidote for false teachers' teaching is sound doctrine expressed through love that is discovered in the gospel. And that's where we are, right? That's who we are, right? And that's why Calvary Baptist Church exists. Paul said, Timothy, I have an assignment for you. <laughs> These aren't easy. You know what? Being a pastor would be easy if it weren't for people. And Paul said, Timothy, you're going to stay at Ephesus and you're going to do some hard work. You're going to help people grow. And you're going to help them grow by giving them sound doctrine and the glorious, wonderful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Watch out for the other stuff. But Timothy, you show love. Love that speaks the truth. Love that strengthens the faith. And love that silences falsehoods. But Timothy, it's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel.